Well-Defined is a show about identifying and pushing back on things that feel taboo. Together, we can find a sense of community around these things and begin to eliminate shame as we deepen vulnerability. We try to be mindful of the words we use so we can understand each other better. We'll talk about the space between empathy and enabling so we can hold ourselves and each other accountable while always trying to lead with love and empathy. We aren't experts on any of the topics we'll feature. We don't have all the answers and sometimes we'll get things wrong. Our aim is to dive deeper into the human experience and discover the ways we're all connected while honoring our differences. We're excited to examine your questions with you even when the path to the answer makes us uncomfortable. We hope this is a space where you can explore the corners of your life that maybe you've never given voice to. There's no telling what this shared vulnerability and openness can allow. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Well Defined. I'm Kelsey. Hi, everyone. I'm Emily. Thanks so much for joining us for another episode. Today, we are interviewing Heather Freilich who is a local Chicago-based massage therapist. She also does quite a few other things. So she's going to tell us all about what those are in this interview. One of the things that Heather mentions is cranial sacral work. And we just wanted to point out that we don't get into much of what that is in this conversation. If you're interested in this fascinating uh, type of work, we encourage you to check out the Cleveland Clinic website, plenty of other places, but that just may be a good start to get some more information on what that is. The other quick note we wanted to make about this episode is that Heather is a practitioner of some science-based modalities as well as some more esoteric modalities. And this is just important to point out because um, Kelsey and I just wanted to draw attention to sort of the role of expectations. These factor in a bit more with esoteric practices than with those science-based ones. That might sound a little vague for now, but as you get through this conversation with Heather, I think uh, that'll make a bit more sense. And as always, we're really wide open to your thoughts and questions. So here it is. Thanks for listening. Hi, Heather. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me here. I'm excited to talk with you both. Yeah, we're so excited. We have a lot of good questions for you. Do you want to just kind of briefly introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do? My name is obviously Heather Freilich, and um, currently I own and operate a bodywork practice in Wicker Park, Chicago. I'm a former professional dancer, dance instructor, and choreographer. And through my years of dancing, I experienced a lot of dance-related injuries which led me into a plan B where I thought I was going into the healing profession of massage therapy to learn how to heal my own wounds. And not only did that happen, but I also ended up falling in love with the world of massage. And so I began my journey as a licensed massage therapist, which is a license that I still professionally hold to this day. But during my 17 years of doing body work, I have come to discover different forms of body work that I find have been more beneficial for the clients that I work with. And that includes myofascial release, cranial sacral therapy, Reiki, and reflexology. And also along the way, during my dance career and bodywork career, part of my self-healing 
took place by practicing yoga regularly for 20 years. And just this past year, I finally dove in and got my teacher certification. So now I'm also working in that manner with clients, uh, teaching yoga one-on-one and doing workshops, myofascial release workshops. So uh, there's a plethora of goodies that I share with people. It kind of sounds like you got started in this world by learning you could heal yourself. Is that right? Yes. That is one of the things I ended up discovering along the way. I went into the world of body work because, you know, after my last set of injuries that I had when I was a professional performer, I felt like I wasn't sure what I needed to do next, but I knew it was something else other than what I was doing. And so I went back in my mind and, and heart and thought about what else I loved besides dance. And what came to the forefront was how I loved studying anatomy and kinesiology in college. I loved it as much as dance. And so I thought, okay, that's a good starting point. And then a few people I knew in my life were massage therapists. And so I received some body work from them, realized how much I loved that, and just sort of followed the breadcrumbs a little bit into that profession. And it was during my time studying massage and receiving that I start to learn that, wow, there's this whole world in the healing arts. And part of that world is to learn how to self-heal. And that ended up becoming somewhat at the forefront, aside from doing the profession with others in my own life to help me heal. Wow. Amazing. I heard you use this word body work. And I'm, I'm wondering, is that the same as like massage therapy? Do you use those terms interchangeably or is there a difference between a massage therapist or physical therapist and a body worker? That's a great question, actually. So when I was doing just massage therapy, that's all that I was licensed in. That's all I was trained in at the beginning of my career. I just used the term licensed massage therapist. Now you can use the term body worker if that's all that you're doing. However, I've morphed the word that I used into body work because now there's this whole umbrella It covers the umbrella of what I'm doing now with the myofascial release, with cranial work, with Reiki, all that. So it covers a lot. And um, physical therapy, that is actually a completely different license where, you know, in physical therapy school, you have much longer training and you also not only do hands-on work with people, but you also learn how to help heal the body through specific exercises and things like that as well. I read about a little bit that you do Reiki. Can you tell us a little bit about what that is and how you use that in healing? Yeah, sure. So with Reiki, you know, actually, I want to just bring in a little bit of the personal experience that I have with Reiki, because that was actually something that I was not planning on incorporating into the work that I do. I actually started to because Reiki was one of the pathways to help me heal. And not only did I find that the dance-related injuries that I had were on the physical level, they were also on the mental, emotional, and energetic levels. And so with Reiki, what Reiki does is it helps work with the energy systems in our body, you know, and also outside of our body within our aura. And it helps align all of those systems in order for healing on the physical level to take place. There's more than meets the eye when it comes to what's going on in our physical beings. And sometimes it is an energetic pattern that needs to be soothed and healed on some level. And so when people ask me what Reiki is, it's energy healing. And us Westerners are not necessarily fully um, 
versed in the world of energy. Like we're getting there. We're starting to talk more about it. And so when someone asks me, well, what does that mean? I'll give them the example of like, have you ever walked into a room and there are two people in there and they just had an intense conversation and you walked into this room, you had no idea what they were talking about, but you feel the tension and like you're in there and you're like, oh my gosh, I've got to get out of here. There's something up. Or, you know, if you've ever walked into a home of someone that you love and before even seeing anyone, you just walk in and you're like, oh, I'm so happy to be here. That's energy that you're sensing through the emotional body. And so when you receive Reiki, Reiki is considered, it translates to universal life energy, which means the energy of healing. So you're walking into a space receiving healing energy and not the practitioner. The practitioner is not giving you energy. The practitioner is channeling that energy through their hands to help your body and energy system heal so and be soothed. They're manipulating your energy versus energy coming from them. Exactly. And, and, and the therapist is not even necessarily manipulating it per se. It's allowing the Reiki energy to move through them. So the Reiki energy can help go where it needs to go to calm and balance out the system, if that makes sense. So, you know, some people do think it is manipulation, but it's not if you're going to the right person. Well, it all sounds very complex. It can be. However, what I talk to clients about is when we try to uh, think about it and contextualize it in our minds, it could be super complex. And it it is because there's so much about the energetic world we don't even know. What I encourage clients to do is to drop into how they feel. And sometimes that could be a little easier said than done, but sometimes just feeling the experience is all that someone needs in order to heal from it. Cool. Yeah, that's that's a I think such a, a an important point for like as a foundation of a lot of this conversation. Culturally, we have a uh, like a language bias where we think that everything has to be spoken, and um, we're very cerebral and we intellectualize. And it's obviously amazing and fascinating that we can do that. And we have these brilliant brains. But just because you can doesn't always mean you should. And sometimes there's a lot of value in learning how to rest that part of yourself, learning how to let the body speak and communicate. And I think it's important to say not just for negative or difficult emotions, but also to learn how to let the body express joy and pleasure, um, to receive those things, to give those things, and also maybe to just like with the energy piece, um, to be aware But given that we're not as well-versed in that, I think that another way of saying that is that there may be some amount of skepticism. And so do you have anything to say on if and how it's important that a person not be skeptical? Does Reiki work, quote-unquote, if you feel unsure or skeptical? How important is the receiver in terms of like their confidence or their buy-in or belief? That's a great question. You know, to be transparent, I was actually really skeptical when Reiki came my way. Mm. However, I was in a place where I was also open to trying anything, even if I wasn't sure it was going to work. And because there was that little opening, I felt even though I was skeptical going into the Reiki session, my very first one, that little opening there provided a gateway for the experience to go through me. If someone is completely 100% shut down 
from the possibility of experiencing it all. Um, for example, unless a client is coming to me knowing full well that they want to receive Reiki, I will talk to the client about it if it seems appropriate for the session that they're coming in for. So if they're coming in for, you know, myofascial release, for example, and, and actually I don't work very compartmentalized like that. When someone comes in, they share with me where they're at, and then I'll pull from the toolbox of my training and then create a session tailored for where they're at that particular day. But it, when it comes to the Reiki, I always talk about it first if they have never had it before. And if there is a client that is like, no, absolutely not, I will not try to force that on them at all because the door is closed. Mm -hmm. And when the door is closed, they're actually going to resist me and the effort for the Reiki to try to move through me to them. And it's, it actually could stir up, I think, and make things a little bit worse because let's just face it, the client would feel disrespected. Like I said, no, I don't want this, you know? And so there needs to be that level of respect and understanding where the client is at. So I feel that that is the main reason why it wouldn't necessarily quote unquote work with someone that doesn't want to receive it. The door is closed. But if there's even a little bit of opening and a little bit of skepticism, I feel it's important to have some skepticism if you don't, if you've never received it before. But if there's that little curiosity and a little bit of opening there, it's giving yourself an opportunity to actually feel the work. I, I like the idea that you brought in the sense of respect because it feels to me like a healthy skepticism that's maybe much more about curiosity than fear or doubt seems like it's um, maybe a sign of a good boundary that you want to make sure just because this works or feels good for someone else, I still want to be curious about whether or not it works and feels good for me. Do you ever feel like people need to bring a se that sense of curiosity to more of like the massage therapy or the myofascial release and things like that? Oh, absolutely. When you have hands-on people, um, that's not something that's necessarily talked about uh, very openly. And I think it's because partially because it's a little bit newer, if you will. Um, but when you're, when you're giving and receiving massage, there's definitely an energy transfer there with that direct contact. And especially, you know, going into the world of myofascial release and cranial sacral therapy, while that might be a little bit more well-known than Reiki, for example, or a little bit more accepted in our Western mindset, it's still different than your traditional massage. And so there is a sense of, you know, healthy skepticism that I run into all the time at work. And the other aspect of it too, when a client feels respected and heard regarding their skepticism or their questions or their curiosity, that could be very empowering for them too, because there's a little bit of a misconception, generally speaking, when someone comes in for a massage and they lay on the table, it's like, well, you know, the massage therapist does that to me, you know, like I'm powerless. No, 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 no. It's the client's session. And they have the opportunity to speak up if something doesn't feel right. And they have the opportunity to say no if they don't want to experience something. And so I, I love encouraging people that I work with, or even if I don't work with them, to speak up, share your skepticism, mm. share your curiosity, because it only will empower you in the end and help you get to know yourself better. So where does one start on this kind of journey for wanting to start regular massage therapy? Maybe you're an athlete like you or maybe you're just dealing with more emotional stress 
factors and you want to start looking at healthy ways to heal your body inside and out, do you have any recommendations for how to get started? I suggest just going to the one that you feel most drawn to. And it could even just be like, if you want to just break it down to an eeny, meeny, miny, mo, I mean, go ahead and do that. Let's say, you know, you want to try massage therapy, but you're not sure where to go. I suggest pulling up a couple of people or places in your area and maybe read about the bio, read about what they offer and just take a look and see which one you keep coming back to, like more in an intuitive way, unless you know someone that has a referral for you and you trust that person wholeheartedly. I think that's a good place to start. Just start with where your curiosity leads you back to the whole curiosity thing. And hopefully you'll be in good hands. And then you and the therapist can dialogue from there if you want to explore it even further. And they can hopefully give you a treatment recommendation and um, go from there. Yeah, that's really helpful. I know a couple of years ago when I started looking into different healing modalities for anxiety, um, I had a friend who said, you know, it's okay to kind of interview around a little bit. Would you agree with that? You know, go and and try different types of therapists and see if they connect with you. Yes, I am a huge advocate for that because there are times where people contact me wanting just, you know, your classic deep tissue massage. And I want to make sure that they know that that's not what I do, even though the work I do gets even deeper than deep tissue massage. It's not what they think they're going to be going in with what they think they're going to be experiencing. And for them to know that up front so they don't waste their time and their money, if that's not what they want, super important. You can also get a feel for like, if you're talking to the therapist, if you even feel like you jive within the conversation that you have, it's so important to feel safe with the person that you're working with. Because if you don't feel safe, you're not going to be able to let go to the level that could really help you heal. Can you kind of expand too on what you mean by let go? Because we've kind of talked about this a little bit, letting letting go and kind of being with your body there. What does that mean? And, and how do you do that? <laughs> <laughs> Good question. Yeah, that, that's a great question because it, it's, it's letting let go is everywhere. I'll, I'll speak from at least the world of body work, I guess. Letting go to the point where you feel like you can start to drop some of your defenses. Our, our bodies are constantly, and of course, our minds are constantly butting up against different stressors throughout the day. And what can happen on the physical level, you know, and energetic and emotional levels, we, we create these patterns in our bodies. But it's when we feel safe, we can allow ourselves to at least get to the point where we can relax enough to let the therapy do its work to help let go and possibly rewire some of those holding patterns so they don't turn into a crutch later on down the line. And so the other aspect of that too, at least with the work that I do, especially with the myofascial release and cranial sacral therapy, two things. When we were talking about talk therapy earlier, sometimes I'll have clients that come in and they feel so safe in the space that they're walking into that even before the session starts, they just share everything that's going on in their life, knowing well that I am not a therapist to help them in that way to cognitively and mentally, emotionally help them move through what's coming up, but they just had a space to let it all out. And once they do, their body even starts to heal from there because they've stopped holding on to it. So that's one way of letting go and being safe, just to let it out. The other aspect too, though, is at times, 
emotional releases can occur. And when someone allows themselves to relax enough to let go, to let go of the barriers that are blocking them from letting the tears out, letting the anger out, or even letting the laughter out, you know, as we were talking earlier about even expressing joy, to be able to drop those defenses to the point to let that out of their system so their body can heal even further, that is sort of what I'm alluding to. And I hope that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. And thank you so much. This is a part of the wellness world that I'm not super familiar with. And I feel like I've just been throwing questions at you. So thank you. That (laughs) definitely answered my question. Awesome. I feel like if you have the question, somebody else does. And I've had, I haven't known the answers to any of your questions. So I have those questions too. (laughs) Um, I think that's part of what we're talking about is like people hear these things, whether it's from a blog or an Instagram post, or they hear their friend is doing something. And now even it could be like a medical doctor suggesting something like body work. But to your your question about how to get started, right? Um, Or how to know it's the right fit? Is it okay to have a session with somebody and be honest with yourself that it didn't feel like a fit? So you're going to try someone else. The same thing is true in psychotherapy. And there's a lot of kind of, you know, education that I learned over the years to do for people like really, it it can be a a bit uncomfortable sometimes, but really being able to let someone know that you don't have to come back. (laughs) I would be delighted if you did, if you came back because it felt like it was the right thing for you to do, but I wouldn't be delighted if you came back out of a feeling of obligation or because you're not practicing to be attuned to your needs. And there's some sort of like habit of avoiding that voice. And also too, like just to be real, right. It can just be exhausting how many times you want to go and book the appointment and drive there. And also it can get costly and I can see why people decide to try to make the best of it sometimes. But that's why I think it was so, it's just great to talk to someone like you, Heather, because you help us understand why it's important not to try to make it work if it's really not working it's almost as if you can't fully access the benefits or the healing of these modalities if it's making you even a little bit uncomfortable. Yes. And, you know, and to that point, I think it's also important to note too that there also might be an expiration date if you do jive with a therapist, in particular, mm-hmm. a certain body worker, that there might be an expiration date as to when you feel that the work between you two has run its course and it's time to move on either to a a different person or a different modality, or maybe you just need to experience life all on your own in that regard. You know, I think that's important to note as well, because sometimes with long term clients, they might feel like they're betraying you if they decide to leave, but it's like, well, but if you really feel that we've plateaued or the sessions aren't bring you the benefit that you were receiving before, it could just mean it's time for a break or it's just time to go in a different direction, you know, and there's nothing wrong with that. Or possibly a time to try another modality. There's so many different ways to heal body and mind. I mean, there's creative outlets and then there's massage therapy and then there's talk therapy and there's music therapy. So maybe, maybe that idea is just to consider what's gonna, what's gonna help you in whatever you're going through. And, and maybe it's just trying something new. Exactly. 
sort of um, relatedly to kind of um, making sure that things are, are kind of meeting you where you are when you're still working with someone, anything at all that comes to mind just in terms of like tips or prompts for people to try to, in your experience, that might help to ground and be more ready? Yeah, um, well, <laughs> I feel like I see new things all the time coming in when, when I work with clients. I'm not pretty strict or have like a, a protocol that I necessarily suggest to clients right before that they right before they come in for their session. When I've worked with someone for a long period of time, you know, there's definitely self-care techniques that we will go over at some point in time, whether we do an official, you know, 30 to 60 minute Zoom session where I teach them how to properly use the foam rollers and therapy balls and whatnot. And those are some things I like them to do um, two to three times a week, whatever their individual circumstances before they come in next time. So we can make more headway on what we've been working on the session prior. Um, of course, staying hydrated. You know, for example, the fascia, which is a full body connective tissue system, loves water. And dehydration alone can actually cause fascial restrictions. So a lot of times I'll tell clients, not only after their session, drink plenty of water to stay hydrated and to rehydrate your tissues. But if there's ever a day where you're feeling just a little off and some muscle aches and pains, I usually suggest to people, you know, check your hydration levels. If you feel that you haven't had a whole lot of water, drink some water first, see how you feel. And then if you feel you need a little more maintenance, then go to some of those self-treatment tools we talked about. So those are some things that I share with clients, you know, for example, that I've worked with on a regular basis before their next session as preparation. Mm. The day of, for example, I have found over the years, the more I've been able to go with the flow with my clients, the better the session. The more mm. I go in with a super preconceived idea, I tend to be off the mark. So I've kind of let that go a little bit. Now, mind you, I do check soap, soap notes is what a massage therapist will take after each session, you know, that goes over what the client came in with, what they, you know, what the therapist did during the session, what is suggested for after the session. Um, I'll always review those before a client comes in. But, you know, to your point, if a client is rushing around and they get to the appointment like right on time or five minutes late, with every session, I have some talking time with the client, you know, to check in, see how they feel, see what they're bringing us and have some space for them to share what they need to verbally. Then we'll check their posture alignment, make sure that their pelvis is in alignment, which is the main fulcrum point in the body, and their shoulder and head neck alignment, what their gait might be if they're having issues with lower body extremities. So those are some you know, criteria that I follow, but for the most part, I try to be as fluid as possible with clients. And during the session, you know, after I hear them talk and they share with me what's going on, I'll have an idea of what I'd like to address in the session. However, what takes precedence over that even is listening to their body while my hands are on them during the session. And when my hands aren't on them, listening to their energy and listening to what their body's telling me because last part I'll share is with the myofascial release work that I do. My mentor, John Barnes, he has a saying, you know, treat the symptom, look elsewhere for the cause. The myofascial system, you may feel aches and pains, let's say in your lower back, for example. However, that may not be where the root cause lies. And to be able to listen to the body and follow its lead, 
it's amazing over the years, how you'll hear the body talk to you being like, no, actually it's because, you know, the right side of the pelvis is rotated forward and we need to work with that tissue that's causing that from happening, you know, and help to decrease the low back pain from there. Mm. So that's, that's what I found has been most helpful going into the session in the moment, listening to the body. That seems like that's where the, the whole idea of your expertise kicks in. Like once you've initially kind of done your, your work, whether you had to meet with one person and it was a fit right away, or you met with several people before it was a fit. Once you've done sort of that piece of it and you feel connected to someone, then it, you do kind of put yourself in their hands. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think that's really helpful for people because sometimes I find that people are shying away from things, especially as a yoga teacher and teaching meditation classes for a few years, inviting people to classes. And so often the response being like, well, I don't know how to do that. And then you think, well, you're, are you waiting to learn before you come? Isn't that where you learn? And I think some of it is now with YouTube and the internet, you figure you can maybe learn a little bit on your own. But I also, I think, I feel like in some of what you're saying, I'm hearing this idea of like, there's no such thing necessarily as like, doing it correctly, being ready in any way other than that curiosity and kind of openness piece, beginner's mind, I think of, and just trying to be, be kind to yourself in that way. If you feel the need for it, that that's sort of, that's the right, that's all the readiness that you yes. need. Yes. And if you're with, if you're working with someone that's a good fit, they will hear you and they will understand that. And also, especially if I've ever worked with a client that is brand new to the world of massage therapy, body work, I feel it's an honor and a privilege to be able to help walk them through that. And I also feel it's really important as the therapist to make it clear as day. If you have any questions, ask. I want you to feel like you're, you're having an understanding of what's happening or you feel heard or that you feel like you don't walk out of here feeling more confused than when you came in, you know? Mm -hmm. um, I think it's, it, that's, that definitely lies in the therapist's hands to make sure that they can create a space for a first timer, if you will, mm -hmm. to feel safe enough to ask anything, you know? And I sometimes have had first time clients say things like, well, this is a dumb question, blah, blah, blah. No, it's definitely not a dumb question. If you've never been here, like, how are you supposed to know? And it's, it's my job as the therapist to help you through that. You, you mentioned something about like over the Zoom, the roller balls and the foam rollers. Is this something that you would have always done with people? Like, hey, let's maximize our time between sessions. Or are you able to do, are you able to help people help themselves through pandemic times? And this is unique to this context. You know, it's so funny because when I started learning self-care techniques, I actually had 30 to 60 minute self-care sessions in person with people where they would bring in their foam rollers, bring in therapy balls, any sort of self-care tools that they had. And even, you know, going as far as certain stretches, you know, if they didn't have a specific tool on them that we would focus on to help them in between sessions to maintain the work that we do in session, but also to help them prevent certain pain patterns from occurring again. And it's really important for clients to have these tools to go to, especially during times where they can't get in for their session, for example, until three weeks out. You know, it's like, why suffer with pain when you can use one of your therapy balls to help decrease it? 
So I was doing all this in person. And then when the pandemic hit and the stay at home order happened, and I had to close my in person practice, I had a couple of weeks where I was like, I don't know what to do with myself. This is my livelihood. This is what I love to do. And then the idea started occurring well, there is Zoom. You can teach this stuff online. So I started transferring the in person self-care sessions to Zoom. So that's one of the things I offer. I also offer distance Reiki sessions as well. And that could be either on Zoom or on the phone, um, which is basically, I mean, you know, energy work, you don't have to be in the same room to receive it. So um, people can receive it. I've worked with people in other states in other countries, you know, to receive Reiki. Um, and then I also teach a self-care workshop called the Fluid Fascia which I'm in the process of also pre-recording and getting it available online to stream. So if people can't make the actual Thursday night class, like they could purchase it and then do it whenever they want, which I'm so excited about. And I also teach a, uh, a half hour yoga class called soul soothing yoga. So it's amazing what this pandemic has showed us. We can, we can still do. Yes. And I'm very grateful for that. And also at the same time, it's like, it's been very apparent how important and how much people have wanted hands-on body work. I was shocked when I reopened my doors in June. I thought maybe it was going to be a slow start back, but majority of my clients were like, I'm in, <laughs> my schedule booked out. And so people are hungry for, for some nurturing hands-on contact. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> I know I am. I was going to ask you, do you have like a typical client? Like, what do you find, I guess, like the majority of your clients come to you? Or if you have a new client, what do, what are they usually needing help with? Is it pain? Is it dancers who have had injuries? Or, or are they people wanting help with, with anxiety and depression and things like that? Or is it, are you finding it's all of the above? Well, it is all the above to a degree. I have to say, I mean... I think because of my background as a dancer, not only have I attracted a lot of dancers to my practice, but also um, a lot of musicians and a lot of actors. The fact that there's just that artistic background that I bring to the table, I think really um, connects with a lot of people in, in the artistic fields. Mm -hmm. I also do attract a lot of doctors and nurses. Those that are interested in myofascial release have heard about it but want to experience it for themselves and have received benefit from it. So they keep coming back. And with regard to like specifics though, shoulder, neck, headache, pain, for sure. Um, Pre-pandemic, I was attracting a lot of clients with TMJ dysfunction because not only do I, am I skilled and trained to do external work, but also some interoral work to help with some of the structures internally to help open and unlock the TMJ. Right now, of course, with the pandemic, you know, clients have to wear masks throughout the whole entire session. And there's no way I'm going to ask them to remove it to do intraoral work, not until it's safe. And also low back pain. Okay. So those are like, you know, the three top ailments that tend to be, you know, characteristic of some of the clients that I work with. You know, part of my work is as a psychotherapist. I do other things, but... Um... In that work, a couple of years ago, I had just started thinking about the value of a collaboration between a discipline like yours and really recognizing just um, at, at the personal and observational level how much 
processing can happen through the body and not just can happen through the body, but often needs to happen through the body. And so I, I had found that, that some people I was working with were really getting a lot out of that, out of sort of seeing me and seeing someone that was doing a certain kind of body work where there was like an energy healing element to it. And I think that what ended up happening is that a few of those folks were able to really help that body worker and me figure out the parameters of our work. I think like the more we talk about the purpose of something, the more we're implying its limitations. And so what does it mean for your body to communicate? How, what does it mean for your body to process information or process memory or process healing from your point of view, working with the body directly? Yes. Um, I think one thing that might help tie some of that together, at least from the body work perspective is through the fascial system. So the, the form of myofascial release that I practice is the John Barnes method. And his method is called the John Barnes myofascial release approach. And in that approach, what is often addressed is that the fascia is not only a physical connective tissue structure that gives the body shape and is a protective mechanism in the body that embeds and surrounds literally everything in our bodies from the largest muscle group down to the tiniest cell. It's like an internal spider web. Not only is it a physical entity, but it is also considered the tissue of consciousness. So throughout our lives, if we experience, it doesn't even necessarily have to be a painful traumatic event, but any event in our lives that we experience that we don't fully experience at the time of the onset doesn't just disappear. It gets stored in the fascial system. And, you know, the fascia even embeds the the brain and the mind, you know. So, for example, let's say you're in church and something funny happens and you start laughing and you're not supposed to laugh and the adults around you tell you that sternly and you just kind of hide it, you know, and you're about to bust at the seams trying to stuff it down that laughter is not just disappearing. It's, it's getting stuck in your tissue. And I see this all the time in uh, sessions with clients where I'll start physically working with an area of their body. And then all of a sudden they'll just burst out laughing. This is just one example of the plethora of things that could happen in the session. And they'll start laughing and they might not know why right away, or they might know exactly why where the memory of that time in church comes up to the surface and it's happening because the fascial system's like, Oh, finally, I can let this go. I can laugh it out. Thank goodness. Cause that was taking up a lot of energy and weighing me down. Things like that can happen when the fascial system and then that tissue can be manipulated during the session, uh, manipulated, meaning hands-on, you know, movements happening within that system from the session Same thing can happen with a a traumatic event where, you know, tears and anger anywhere in between might come up to the surface as well. And there can even be memories that come to the surface with no emotional association with it. Sometimes I've had clients on the table say, oh my gosh, I completely forgot about the fact that I broke my arm at two years old and didn't recover right away or whatever, you know, like sometimes memories that are completely blocked will just come rushing back to the surface because wherever it was stored in the body informs the client like, oh, I could finally look at you and let you go. The work that I do 
is fully capable for the client to safely experience the emotions that are coming to the surface and have a space for them to let it out if they feel ready and able to. And the body can sometimes start to spontaneously move as if it's like unwinding something that happened in the course of an event. Where the limitations are is if there's a traumatic event that gets unlocked by having the body worked and the emotion comes to the surface and the client lets it out, but they realize I have got to talk through, I have to talk to someone about this. I I can't just, I can't just let the emotion come up and not, you know, process what just happened. That is when I will refer someone to someone in your industry and also make sure, you know, depending on what comes to the surface to make sure it's the appropriate therapist that can help them through that. I liked how you use that language. Like, I think I need to talk about this because I feel like that's more, and at least generally speaking in our culture, that's more often where we go. And so I, I love that you're helping us just add to the menu of options that might occur to us. Like, I think I need to talk about this. I think I need to express this through my body. That one, we just don't suggest to ourselves as often. So I think we're just saying to try to get more practice at putting these other menu options. Like Kelsey and I were talking in our last episode about like adding crying to the menu of options. (laughs) Like don't forget to remind yourself that sometimes that might be what your body's trying to release or trying to ask for. Sometimes I don't think it's necessarily that we don't know how or that we're even afraid to cry or try body work or, you know, um, yoga or boxing or whatever. We just don't, we just forget to give ourselves these options. And so everything is, um, gets very verbal and which is very healing to a degree, but it like everything else, 100% has its limitations. I'm the first to tell you. And it's amazing how sometimes I'll, I'll see clients, many clients that come in and it just like, I just see their head walk in almost because there's a disconnect from the head and the body. Mm -hmm. And, Even learning how to be safe with our emotions is something I think that a lot of us are learning. Unfortunately, there's a lot of negative stigma about emotional expression, especially if it's in its raw form. You know, if you're really feeling something, there's been so many times many of us have grown up with, uh, don't say that, don't, don't stop crying, you know, (laughs) stop laughing. It's like, well, I'm feeling this, you know, and our bodies are feeling that emotional energy for a reason. It's very, it's very easy to cut that, cut that part of ourselves off to try to get by. Mm -hmm. And so doing the work that I do, it feels like a beautiful starting point to remind people that it is okay to cry. Like you're, you're saying, you know, with the people that you work with, it's, it's okay to cry there's nothing wrong with you if you do. Mm -hmm. You're just a human expressing what's inside. Yeah. This is a common theme I'm seeing in the conversations that we're having with people is reminding people that their feelings are valid. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of our listeners have probably had upbringings like that, where some of your feelings maybe are okay. Some of your emotions are okay, but some are not. And then they have been conditioned to um, push them down for whatever reason, and, and it might not have been intentional by their parents, but it's happened. And now, amazingly, we have people who are learning about this stuff who can help us to release that and to move forward, learning, or maybe more unlearning 
these things that we've been kind of conditioned and then learning how to then go on with life and expressing ourselves so that we can be more free of that. And I guess for maybe some of our listeners that that might be wondering, like, how do I get myself in that place where I'm ready to release? I know a little bit earlier you mentioned there's, there can be, and oftentimes is this emotional release. Maybe you're doing work on someone and they, they bust out laughing or they start crying or they feel that anger and they, they want to release it. Like, what if you don't, what if you know it's in there, right? And you're going to go try and work through the stuff, but how do you know you're ready for that? Or what would you say to someone who maybe is thinking, I don't know if I want to release that stuff. That's a great question. If you're coming to me specifically, just Mm -hmm. know I am never going to force you to let anything out. And I do my best to meet whomever I'm working with, with where they're at. I don't feel that there's necessarily a preconceived knowing. I mean, someone may know themselves well enough to know that I'm feeling emotional today and I feel like stuff's going to come out. Great. Okay. Let's go with that. But if you don't know, or if you're like, oh my gosh, you know, Heather's talking about all these emotional releases. I don't know if I want to experience that. It's also in your control, if you will, if you're going to allow yourself to actually feel it and express it. It's nothing I would ever force. Even if someone says, I'm starting to feel like tears come up to my eyes, you know, I do give them permission to let me know if they want to keep going with the session, if they need a moment, like where they're at with it. And it's not something that happens all the time with people. So especially if there's a listener, like I've never had body work before and feeling freaked out about hearing about this, just know it. it's not something that happens all the time. And if it does, and you're ready and willing to go there, then you have a space to let it out. But if you go for your session and you're not ready or willing to let some of these emotions rise to the surface, just know you don't have to. Kelsey, yeah. doesn't that, does that remind you a little bit of what we in the heartbreak episode when we were talking about like your, your brain and or your body might, is going to make suggestions to you all the time about a potential way that you could feel or a thing you could think about right now or a thing you, you could maybe ruminate on if you wanted to, but you always have the option to decline that invitation from your body or your brain. We may not always be able to predict if they come up in the work. Cause I think your work, Heather, um, in a very different way, but like yoga, like psychotherapy can be really provocative, but it's not always provocative. And also if we can work on having a space between the stimulus and the response, you yourself might not yet have learned how to really break, slow it down and find the space to give yourself a different suggestion So in a sense, the fear you feel is almost the call to find someone to work with because they can create and hold that space between for you. Um, It's almost a whole different way to look at your your resistance as a instead of a reason to to hold back from going in for this kind of experience. It almost maybe could be thought of as a reason to go because that's often the place where we learn how to slow down and, and ask ourselves, what do we want in this moment? Well, and you reminded me, Heather, too, with, with your response, that healing is gradual, right? And 
you don't have to worry that your first time ever going to see any sort of type of therapist, that everything's going to all happen at once. Um, you might hardly get past explaining what you do for a living when you go see a talk therapist for the first time. Or maybe you'll end up spilling everything and they'll know every little trauma you've ever had in the first session. Like it'll, what will come up is, and again, this is another theme I feel we've been talking about is like kind of whatever is meant to come up and you'll be listening to your own body and what feels good. Um, and your intuition will kind of take control there and kind of guide you. And the, the need for a therapist of, of any kind is to help hold that space for you so that you do feel safe to start at, at the very least to start that healing process. Yes, absolutely. And I think sometimes the expectations or the fears before going into a session, especially if you've never experienced it before, can often intensify the what ifs, you know, before going in. And once you're there and you're in the moment with it, who knows what's going to come up and out. Yet if you're working with a trusted therapist of whatever kind, you'll have some there with you to help you through it rather than feeling like you're alone, stranded on a boat, trying to find your way through what's coming up. Yeah, absolutely. I think I've, I've been there kind of feeling like I had to have all the answers myself and realizing like, that's not necessarily the case. We don't all have to be experts. It's good to listen to your body, as you've mentioned now a a few times. Um, But listening to your body and fully comprehending what's happening aren't the same thing. And um, that's why it's good for, for people who are listening, who maybe have felt that are feeling pain in their body in some way and aren't understanding what's going on to maybe be open-minded to, to reaching out and, and seeking that help from someone who does have the training and experience in all sorts of different areas that might be able to help you. I'd agree. Well, I, I don't know about you, Kels, but just for on my end, I just wanted to ask you maybe one more question, which is if this kind of work, I think it, it's really important, I think, to just to repeat, if we haven't already said this, that, and you can have that like proverbial walking out of a massage therapy session feeling like in this kind of cloud of blissful <laughs> peace. Um, it's it's completely possible. It, and, and part of why we're just sort of really kind of wanting to amplify some of the challenging things that can happen is because like I think you said earlier, Heather, that there's stigma around big, bigger shows of emotion. We're slowly but surely working our way out of a lot of of repressed sensibility in in our culture and that extends into massage therapy rooms and talk therapy rooms and yoga classes people are censoring themselves and um, suppressing their needs all over the place so these things can happen and unexpected provocations can 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 bring unexpected sensations but i just think it's important to restate that the experience runs a whole continuum. I always think about why, why would I expose myself or or consent to something that even if it's a low potential has any potential to make me feel confused or uncomfortable or to have to remember something I don't want to remember. And so when you were talking in the very beginning, introducing yourself and you were saying that you, it, it all sort of started with identifying these things that you loved it made me think about how you, know, you feel this feeling that was just big, whether it was laughter or tears, and then you kind of look at it and you, in, in acknowledging it, you can set it down. I almost get this visual of like dragging around 
old like rusty cans or something. And then we kind of like look at them and we can sort of integrate them into this whole story of our lives and they're not weighing us down any longer. And when we do that kind of thing, I wonder if it frees up space in our mind, our body, our heart to be able to actually be interested and able to think about much more fun questions. Like, what do I love? <laughs> what do I love to do? What What's my passion? What kind of work do I want to do? What kind of, how do I want to live my life? So I just really loved that you started out introducing yourself by talking about how you found your way to what you love. And I, so I guess my question is one, does that make any sense? Do you think there's a value in like people are able to clear away some of the cobwebs and get closer to themselves and that this work might have some role in that? And also just, do you have any commentary on like, what does it feel like when you love something? Is that like a body sensation? Like, how did you know you loved this work? Those are great questions. Um, well, yes, yes. And yes. <laughs> um, for the first one, that is in part, like, if you will, the gold at the end of the rainbow is when you do receive you know, body work, for example, or you get therapy of any kind. And yes, of course, it's like ideal, like when you walk out of a session to feel like blissed out and all these great feelings. And that's wonderful. However, the reality of life is sometimes life has dealt us some blows and they're going to rear their head some way or another, whether you're actively addressing it or you're not. And when you're not, a lot of times that can happen through painful life experiences. If you are actively addressing it, it's going to feel a little bit worse before you get 100% better because you're actually looking at it proactively, allowing yourself to move through the experience. And if you need support, hopefully with some support along the way. But to your point, Emily, yes, it will free up once, once you've experienced it through either feeling or talking or whatever path you're going with your healing, it does lend to space at a drop of weight for you to be able to invite something new in. And that's actually, I think, something that's really important to address is because sometimes when we have dealt with something that's been weighing us down, it's almost like the mind and the body could be so familiar to want to go back to the old patterns, but it's like, well, wait, what, what can we fill this up with that feels better to you? So on to your question with regard to what does it feel like getting in touch with something that I love um, from personal experience, whenever I've tapped into something that I love, I almost feel like, is it, is it the expression of camel drinking water? You know, I, I feel like I can't get enough of it. Like I just want to read more about that subject, or I just want to watch more of this, or I can't stop thinking about this. It's almost... Um, you know, forgive me, I'm a Scorpio times five in my chart. So Scorpios can get a little <laughs> obsessive, but like I get really into what excites me to the point where I just keep going further into it. And it feels like excitement. It feels like I can't get enough of it, whatever it is. That is when I know that that's something that I love. And it, it brings me this like good feeling of just like a lightheartedness and also like, ah, oh, yes, this, this feels good. It, mm -hmm. It's a visceral feeling. It's a mind feeling. It's all the above. So not being able, feeling like you're not finding anything that you love or feeling kind of like cynical about like 
do I have any purpose? Like, is there anything that's really going to make me feel insatiable? And like, I can't get enough. It might not be because there isn't something like that for you. It might be because there's like, you haven't cleared the space and you haven't necessarily um, given yourself the time um, to sort of like get in touch with the, like the tool almost that can find that or like the barometer or something like that can sort of see those things and feel those things and identify those things there's that that itself is as a process that we go through before something's just gonna because uh, isn't it don't you always hear those stories where it's like is the thing that was in front of you the whole time <laughs> um it was like it was the thing you've already been doing um so it's not that you aren't doing the thing or, or can't find that that feeling it's it's almost more like just having the capacity and the space to recognize it Yes. And the essence of what it is, just real quick, I'll share an example. Hopefully this might resonate with some people because if there is someone listening, that's like in that space of skepticism or just not clear of what they love, a couple of things, like I, I share with clients, like fret not, you know, if you can just try to adopt a sense of curiosity and even just, you know, throughout your day to day, I mean, it might not be readily apparent to you, but to your point, it, it might be in front of you the whole time, but there just might be something clouding it. And when I was a dancer, I mean, I begged my mom when I was three years old for six months to dance, to take dance lessons, like my friend Heidi, my childhood friend Heidi. And my mom was planning on letting me around like the age of five, but I was here at three begging her. And so finally she gave in. I just loved to dance. I loved moving my body. I knew it's what I wanted to do as a kid. But then when I started training to be a professional dancer and I took it into my career, that on top of other life experiences outside of the dance studio that were weighing heavy on my heart, coupled with me adopting this perfectionistic attitude that my leg had to get so high or I had to execute this choreography so perfectly so I can make this audition, all of that started weighing down on the essence of why I started dance in the first place to the point where I ended up just following my life and kind of blowing up my career and leaving the world of dance as I knew it. And it wasn't until recent years where I've reconnected with dance in a way where I've been able to reconnect with the essence of dance. And part of that is because I've done my own healing through body work, through therapy, through all these different means to help take off that weight, to make that space for what was in front of me the whole time, but I had forgotten the essence of it. Mm -hmm. So in a body work session, for example, that could be a memory that comes to the surfaces of, oh my gosh, I forgot why I started writing. Now I remember me as a child, you know, writing my first paragraph or whatever, you know, stuff mm -hmm. like that can happen. And to be patient with yourself. I know it's really hard sometimes in this day and age. We're so hard on ourselves. Well, Kelsey and I have offered some suggestions over that few episodes of mindful distractions <laughs> when you're feeling impatient. Sometimes the old the old habits aren't always the best. So it's it's good to have a few other things that we've talked about, like just good old sitcoms sometimes help to keep you in space, keep you from making impulsive decisions that might be difficult to turn around. It was nice to hear you talk about what it feels like to really love something. And it sounded a lot like excitement, that thing that really like builds that fire in you and, and is exciting. And it can, it, it might not necessarily be for you 
like dance, but in the, in the world of dance as you knew it, but you still do get to be in that world by working with other dancers and you still get to dance, but it's just going to look, your profession just looks a little bit different. So that was really inspiring to hear you talk about that. And I think that a lot of our listeners will be able to connect with that in some way. Yeah. The essence is such, that's, that's such a like lovely place almost to leave the conversation. I feel like, cause you're making me think about how it's one thing to say, like, find what you love and be, you know, open to connecting with what you love. But what you did was you reminded us that it's important that you're defining that you love something on your own terms and not just saying like, what should I love? <laughs> but actually, what do you love? What excites you, like you said? And, and if you lose, if that like to, like what you said earlier about relationships with, with therapists, um, relationships with pursuits can run their course as well and being able to give yourself permission to see if you might have loved something before that you don't love anymore this is very reminding me a lot of the heartbreak episode (laughs) you might have loved a person once that you don't love anymore but it's all about making sure that I, I, I think that you just said it perfectly that the essence of it is still there for you and not a feeling of obligation or um trying to make a thing work in the present, just because it worked at one point in the past. Yes. And there's this one saying that Louise Hay says, might've heard it already. Don't should on yourself. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Yes. I think that's so lovely. I I, I really feel like we um, not just like talk, we got to talk about the practical side of things. I hope that's helpful for people who are new to or returning to maybe getting some of these practices, but also thinking about kind of why, what happens when you start to experience the benefits of these. So thank you for making this time and talking to us and sharing all your knowledge and experience. Thank you so much for having me. This was so lovely to talk with you both. It was so nice chatting with you and hearing what you do. Even your voice is very calming and I feel like Mm -hmm. you're really good at this. So I see you doing more podcasts in your future. (laughs) <laughs> I love that idea. <laughs> Very we'll open put, to it. Um, we'll put Heather's um, website on the uh, show page and our social media, like we always. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks for being with us, Heather. Thank you so much, Heather. Thank you. Thank you.